Hey folks, this is the recording of the very first interview that Meredith and I ever did together. We're talking about racism within a family and how privilege manifests itself within the bloodline. So I know that you guys know me, Brianna, I am black and Miss Meredith is white and we are from the deep south. She grew up in Savannah, Georgia and I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia and like it or not, this is America and there are different racial dynamics at play. So Meredith and I got very real for an hour and had a nitty gritty conversation about how those dynamics impacted us and what the experience of being part of the same family looked like, given that we're coming from two totally different perspectives. Buckle up, it's about to get real. Welcome to the Peaches Ain't Pink podcast. A show with two cousins from different worlds with the same dedication to glutes and truth. I'm Meredith Atwood, a former attorney turned coach and author of The Year of No Nonsense. And I'm Brianna Belser, a Harvard grad turned TV writer and actor. Leave your expectations at the door and join us. Time to grow your peach. So we're just going to have a chat today. We thought it would be a, a good time to, to talk. And um, I wanted to ask Brianna to come share her experience um, in life, not to speak for all Black people. Yeah, we'll just, we'll jump right in. I, I'd like to frame this conversation in two ways and just sort of use it, keep us in this lens the whole time. The first of which is, I'm only going to talk about impact and outcome um, and I found that sometimes I get into these cyclical moments where I am discussing I might say hi this is something that felt made me feel uncomfortable and it's I didn't mean to I didn't intend and I get stuck in these loops of feelings and guilt and intention that the initial reason for the conversation which is its impact and its outcome gets lost and so I think between us um, I'm only going to talk about the impact that it had on me and my life or my family or the outcome of something. The other thing is people that I'm going to have conversations about or tell anecdotes about, I don't know what they intended. So I'm also trying to make sure that I'm not speaking for someone else. I don't know what you meant, but let me just tell you how it went down <laughs> from my perspective. Right, and one of my favorite quotes is, intent does not, in not negate impact. And that is, that is, you know, in the realm of apologizing, especially, you know, I'm sorry you felt that way. Not an apology, <laughs> not an apology, <laughs> you know, and so that, that is a great lens, I think, to frame this conversation. So mm -hmm. yes, definitely. Thank you. Um, I want to start with the concept of, not the concept, the existence of privilege, of white privilege. And Pe Peggy McIntosh is the associate director of the Wellesley College Center for Research on Women, and she has an amazing white privilege checklist. So if you think you don't understand what white privilege is, or you don't really have white privilege, go look at this checklist because it's very interesting and I can, I can post that in the show notes. But she says, white privilege is an invisible package of unearned assets, which I can count on cashing in each day, but about which I was meant to remain oblivious. White privilege is like an invisible weightless knapsack of special provisions, maps, passports, code books, visas, clothes, tools, and blank checks. How does that sound? That seems like she hit the nail on the head to me. Hit the nail on the head, yeah. So white privilege, the things that are afforded to us by a system designed a certain way mm -hmm. to allow the system to continue forward and for us as white individuals to benefit from it and right. also to remain oblivious of it. Mm -hmm. So how, how did you see that show up in your life personally? Well, I think you and I can talk about it between the two of us, which is you are not the first person on the white side of my family who I have attempted to have a conversation with about race. And I have not succeeded. But when you reached out to me a week ago, you decided that you woke up that day and you wanted to have a conversation about yep. race. You, yep. you opted in. Privilege. I don't get to opt out. Then you asked me if I would come onto your platform and I said, yeah, of course, thank you. 
So you decided not only that you want to have a conversation about race, but that you want to talk about it within the context of your family. And here we are. Yeah. But the other thing is you, you've been an adult longer than I've been an adult. And you, you know, in conversations that we had yesterday, you knew that we had people who were racist against my race in our family. And you also knew that I was black in the family. And it was not until last week that you asked me about how, what my experience is, right? You had the yeah. privilege to yeah. not engage with it until you were ready to. Right. That's privilege. And it's not about guilt. I'm not upset about it. I'm not angry. It's just every time I've interacted with our white family, I've had to reckon with not being white and being black. And that is something that simply by being made aware can be provocative. And I don't know if you've seen that Jim Carrey movie, The Truman Show. Yeah. Um, I was telling my mom and sister last night, but sometimes privilege feels like black people are watching The Truman Show and white people are Truman and the system and white people's ancestors, white Americans' ancestors are all the actors in The Truman Show. And every now and then a white person will get a sniff of something. Mm, was that off? Was that? fair and we're and we have black people in the audience are like no girl mm -mm. and it's like that awakening <laughs> moment that truman had where he was like hold on it's all of this for me black people yes just for me wait so this high school this fake high school you did that for me correct wait so this is not my real girlfriend this is for me this was constructed exactly and instead of and this is the thing that shocks me often is instead of being like truman and like sailing across and opening that porthole and being like i gotta get the hell out of here the amount of times especially in the family that i've had people say let me uh, shut this bad boy up and be like all right guys places everyone and go right yes. back to business as usual yeah that's a privilege yes and i'm i'm and i know we talked about this like i apologize and and you said don't be sorry be mad no. just like that's what i'm hearing and i'm like i am mad i am mad i'll tell you how mad i am um i emailed brian stevenson today just like mm -hmm. i told you i would mm -hmm. and i asked how i could lend my legal services i'm mad when i put myself back in the legal ring so i'm just mm -hmm. telling you <laughs> i'm mad and the um, thing is like there's for me I remember, and I told you this in our conversation, and I just want to say it to have it on record. When you posted about Ahmad Arbery, three things happened instantaneously. First off, my jaw dropped. And I was like, oh my God, this is someone in mom's family who <laughs> thinks this is a problem and who said it. Then I fired off a link in my to my sister and she's like, already seen it way ahead of you. And then the third thing that happened is my mom's like, guys, and we were like, yes. <laughs> And one person, at least one person was like, hi, we actually don't think that when black people go on jogs that they should be hunted by someone who brings their own cameraman, kills them, and then gets off. Hmm. And, and like I told you, that woke me up. I, and I wish I would have yeah. woken up, you know, 20 years ago. I wish I would have woken up at five. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that was my waking moment. I was sitting on the couch. I saw the video, and I was like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Like I woke up, uh, like I've been sleeping. And even the statement of that, like you have no idea what that means to me. Being who you are and being who I am for you to be like, oh, hell. I don't even know, can we cuss on this podcast? I'm sorry. Oh yes, we Sense can. Myself. <laughs> All the words. <laughs> All the words, but it, like I, and, and I said this about Stella as well, when you guys said that you were going to protest and you'd reach out to my mom and said, you know, what are some slogan ideas? And by the time you came down the stairs, your daughter had already written in yeah. black and white in ink that black lives matter, lives who look like me matter, no question. Stella wasn't choking on the language. My sister choked up. And the thing is, the reason why it's so emotional for us is because I, I you know what, let me back it up. I'm gonna answer that question, but if I can, in this childhood of mine, I can identify three specific sections. The first of which was being a proper child, like zero to eight or nine. Mm -hmm. And it was in this time that I had fun and I played with my cousins and I did not really interact with a large part of the white side of the family, minus my aunt and her husband and children. And we had a good old time playing and throwing dirt claws at each other and doing all this stuff. And I was completely unaware. And then about nine or 10 years old, I entered the second period of my life where something started to feel weird. 
And I started to look around and it was every birthday and wedding and funeral and party and pool day and Mother's Day and this and that. There were no other people who were not white and not only white, but white conservative Christians. And I felt a tension all the time. And I was like, huh, there's an elephant in the room. It took me a few year, more years to be like, hold on. I'm the elephant in the room. I'm always the elephant in the room. Everyone is on their best behavior. Do you remember when it happened? Do you remember when you realized, was there a moment or it just became like slowly apparent and then it was like a part of you? Like, but was there like a moment where you, you, yeah? Oh yeah. I mean, there, there were three, like in this period of time where I started to realize race was coming up all the time or something racial was happening that everyone was trying not to acknowledge. And there was, it was just those eggshell moments of shutdown or the, oh, okay, anyway, so the sun is shining and it's really blue and beautiful and pretty and la la la. And, and I was like, what is going on? So these got peppered throughout. And I remember very distinctly, I would try to say something and the conversation about black people or race or white people was only on the table in the context of entertainment or joke. So we can laugh, we can watch a black movie, like, I don't think I've ever watched a black movie with my white family, but we can watch a movie that have black people in it, right? But anything else, it's Brianna, don't ruin, it's Christmas. Brianna, it's the 4th of July. Not now, Brie. And that's the kind of stuff where I was like, I started to feel so muzzled and so muted and so uncomfortable when we weren't doing a structured family event. If we were not all playing a game sorry, whatever, where we have a script, which is don't talk unless you're saying sorry. Like if you're Monopoly, if it's not the rules and vocabulary of Monopoly, highly structured activity in just a free space, I would sit in the living room and I'd have nothing to say. And no one would, everyone was nice and polite. But I was like, whoa, I can't talk. Like, I felt like I couldn't say that. I felt uncomfortable. And so I just started bringing a book from like 11 or 12 years old. I would read like thousand page books every time we were going down because it was just the, it, the silencing is profound because don't make me uncomfortable. Right. That's the big, the bigger sin is uh, it's not about, I'm not upset. About, I'm more upset about the fact that you would make me have to talk about racism. And I'm like, well, I'm upset about racism. So <laughs> um, but, but it makes me uncomfortable and I'm a good person. That is the dialogue. That, oh, Oh, the good person. My God. The good yes. person dialogue. That's yeah, what I've heard a lot of from my friends too during the last 10 days or a week since whenever I made my first post is, well, that's okay for you, Meredith, but I'm a good person, but I'm not going to talk about this on, right. on social. I'm not yeah. going to engage. I'm just going to walk away. And yeah. I, so I want to put a pin in that and come, I want you to finish what you're saying, but I want to mm -hmm. come back to, to that and and where we're, yeah. we should, we should definitely, I should have brought a piece of paper to be able to make sure. I'll make notes. But, um, <laughs> thank you. But I think the third period of my life was, um, you know, I got sort of thrust into that third period by three specific moments. And it was my cousins who I hung out with and spent so much time with. And the first happened with my oldest cousin. Um, I was such so beautiful. She was old enough, older enough than me that she was always like a big kid or one of the adults. And for whatever reason, we were at my grandma's house. And I'm gonna tell you, my grandma lived in the boonies. When I say boonies, I mean a proper rural area that if you don't have your personal streetlight in front of your house, you cannot see at nighttime. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I had always been told like, oh, don't go outside, make sure someone's with you, blah, 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 don't go anywhere alone. And, and in this awakening moment, I was like, oh, I shouldn't go by myself because being on this street by myself without having one of my white cousins sign off on my presence puts me in danger. To go to my grandma's house. In context, this is Georgia. Georgia. I don't think we yeah, mentioned deep that. Deep South this is Georgia, the South. yes. This Our whole family is yeah. from deep Georgia. And I think that kind of stuff, I was like, oh my God. And my sister, I'll tell an anecdote of her. She had spent some time, she lived down there for a while. And there was one of the neighbors around my grandma's house who said, you know, if you weren't related to Pat as my grandma, I'd have been run you off. But if I bring that up, Brianna, she probably didn't mean that. She didn't know what he was saying. I think he did. He seemed really clear. I don't know. I didn't have any follow-up questions. That seemed <laughs> No further questions. And I think that was the other thing is the amount of grace and the amount of benefit of the doubt 
that people in the family were willing to give themselves. When I say this upsets me, or I'm scared to go outside of Mimi's house after sundown. Brianna, it was inconvenient or annoying. So I got thrust into this third phase by three specific incidents. My big cousin, we were for whatever reason, and I looked up to her and I never really interacted with her. We were both at my grandma's house alone. And so we ended up sleeping in the bed together. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to hang out with her. And we sat and we talked and somehow we got on race. And we stayed up all night long. And I know this girl, she was in work. You know, she was already working. I'm in college. I have no life. And we're just talking and she's listening. She's listening to me as I'm talking about getting called a nigger in Harvard Square and people coming after me. I'm talking about clean, spending 20 and 25 hours a week cleaning my classrooms, my classmates' toilets in order to pay for my textbooks, things that she did not have to worry about, right? And she sat there and she listened. And at the end of it, she was like, I had no idea. And for me, like, I was trying to shut up, but I knew when the sun started to coming up, I was like, I can't get it out fast enough. I cannot say enough about this because I've never had your attention. Never. This has never been on the table. And I cannot, like, there's no words for it, right? But then she made me a bridesmaid in her wedding. And I was so grateful. I'm like, I'm gonna be in the pictures. I'm like, my black self gonna be in the pictures. Like they're gonna look back 40 years from now. Like I was so excited because it felt like such an acknowledgement. Like they claim me. Yeah. She got married, I graduated from college and then Eric Garner got strangled. And she put a post on Facebook. Blue lives matter. And she went on this full rant. And I try not to deal with social media in this way, right? Like where I'm not trying to go back and forth, I'd rather talk to you, especially a person who I can call. So I commented on it and I was like, hey, you know, not knowing that you know me and that you love me, when I say that Black Lives Matter, me being Black, when I claim my value, I thought you would say, yeah, you do. But instead, when I say unequivocally that I have value and I'm important, you can't stay in that conversation. You wanna hop over to a different conversation about how blue lives matter and about cops. I'm not talking about cops. I'm talking about when I have been detained and I am unarmed and you take my life, you are not an officer of the law, you're a murderer. And so I realized something like, hey, I just wanna have a conversation about why you put it hashtag blue lives matter and the amount of family members who jumped on me and said, you don't have to explain anything to her. Talking about my cousin not needing to explain things to me, privilege. And they're right, she didn't. So I called her and I was like, hey, Facebook post has gotten a lot of hand. Can we talk about this? Left a voicemail, she didn't answer. She never called me back. I have never spoken to her again, minus my grandma's funeral. Wow. And so that like Truman show thing. Yeah. I thought, I thought we were good. I thought we were safe. I thought this was the time. And so there was a second time that happened. It's the same summer and it was Eric Garner. And I don't know why that man's death set some people off, but I was uh, recovering from a knee surgery down in the boonies where my grandma lived and my mom was working uh really far away doing some construction stuff and i was so bedridden that i needed to stay with my grandma and um my grandpa for recovery and my aunt had facilitated she was fantastic in getting all this done right um and making sure she works as uh, for the orthopedic surgeon who performed the surgery and my aunt was like on it taking care of me getting it together and um, what we were starting to, starting to realize is that my grandma was on her deathbed. And so throughout this whole summer, like one family member at a time was coming to spend a week, a weekend with my grandma. Well, I'm living there for four months, so now I'm suddenly one-on-one -on -one with people in the family who I've never been in a room alone with. And this Eric Garner footage is getting played and played and played and played and played, and this video is going looping and looping and looping. 
And my aunt gets frustrated after a while. And she's like, oh, why don't they just play something else? I'm tired of seeing this. It's like bringing me down. I'm tired of seeing it. And this is how I knew I was going to start crossing into the third right stage of I'm going to speak up. I'm not going to say anything as I was like, because it's important. Well, we don't know the whole story. What story? Like, let's hypothesize a story that will suddenly make that make sense. Go for it. Spitball. I'll wait. Don't worry. So we went back and forth and I was doing everything I can because I was like, oh, if I do not play this right, I'm about to lose my aunt. And I could tell that she was trying really hard to watch what she was saying to him. We went back and forth and I was just like, but why? Well, he shouldn't have been doing that. But should he have gotten kids? Well, he didn't know. But he said he couldn't breathe a lot of time. Poke, poke, poke until she exploded and she said, why does it matter about being racist? My husband's as racist as the day is long, but we've been good to you. And then she lists all the ways. She, I got you a Boston pork butt for your graduation. We have always welcomed you into our home. I got you gifts every single birthday and Christmas. So she shouts at me, why is it a problem that I don't want to see you guys get killed because it's annoying to me on my weekend off? One, I hate that. What is the problem with racism if I'm nice to you one-on-one? -on -one? And also, you should be grateful that I should be nice to you one-on-one -on -one because I cooked you a Boston pork butt. You know what I'm saying? And then she got up and walked out of the room. Is that and all we have to do is cook some Boston pork butts? And I sat there and I was shaking because I had never, she was the closest one that I, at the time that I had been with that family who I'd grown up with. And I was shaking. And my grandpa, my grandmother's second husband, who I identify as my grandpa at the time, I, like is sitting there. And my aunt has left the room. She cannot be in the room with me anymore. I pissed her off. And he goes, I'm sorry that happened. And I was like, you didn't say that when she was in here. Hmm. So thank you for letting her clear the room before you decide to speak up and say that was not okay. But then that's fine. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon. By the time dinner was up at six, we just pretended like it didn't happen. And it was at that point that I was like, this is not a loss. I don't want to, I'm tired of this. I'm sick and tired of ruining the holidays. And that was sort of the third period of my life where I was like, if the cost of having cousins and family means that I have to be quiet and never make you uncomfortable with hearing about an oppression that makes me live uncomfortably, fuck it. Yep. I'm chilling. I don't ever need to go back down there again. And that's sort of the long and short in terms of privilege. All like the amount of times where it was just like, stop, stop. You know, shh, 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 shh. we've been good. We pray, we tithe, we've been, we let you and we talk to you and the truth. We're good people. We're good people. Yeah. Except that little racism thing. We're good people. What's the problem? And I think the third yeah. moment was with my, um, with her husband. He was mad about Duck Dynasty, the man, the like, Patriarch of Duck Dynasty had been told to keep his mouth shut. And he did not like that now one bit, okay? Because according to his Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, you are not to be gay. And I remember sitting around the Thanksgiving table. My uncle never spoke. I have never had a conversation with him in my lifetime. It's, hey, uncle. All right, see you next time. Like, I never have spoken to him, even though I've spent hundreds of nights in his house. And he sits there and he is going off about this Doug Dynasty scandal. And a couple of things are happening. One, I'm like flushed. I'm so hot. My mom's going to explode because my mom's always ready to go off. And he's going on. He's outraged that this man has been silenced. Who cares? What do his personal beliefs have to do with his business? Well, let me tell you what multi-million dollar people who hold oppressive beliefs can do. Do you know what lobbying is? Do you know how those casual private life beliefs manifest themselves in the real world? Who's it hurting? Me. And I couldn't say anything. I was so cowardly and I just sat there like cutting my turkey and pouring giblet gravy on the plate. You are not cowardly. You are not I was just like upset because now yeah. as an adult, now I'm like, oh, uh -uh. but at the time I was like, why can't I say something? Why can't I say something? And the funny thing is how outraged he was that someone he'd never known was silenced. Not realizing that he done silenced people at his very dinner table. Now if I'd have spoken up, Brianna, we're trying to give thanks. Pilgrims and the Indians. Do you know? And that got old quick. Wow.
But they'll claim that you're a Harvard graduate, right? Oh my God, will they? By the way, she's a Harvard graduate. And the funny thing is, I'm like, do you tell them that that's the black cousin who went to Harvard? Because, like, I, you know, the the amount <laughs> you of have a Harvard that... graduate in her family, the end. Period. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh no, no, <laughs> hold on, <laughs> one second. Like, let's back that up. The first time that I had a, a conversation with my mother's father, um, I have to say. My mom had told me from a child, you will never be left alone in a room with him. And there had been family stories and lore and all this stuff about his behavior. And he called Brazil nuts nigger toes. Oh, yeah. And he would make jokes while people were, while driving the car with passengers. And he would say, hit a Mexican 50 points, hit a nigger 100 points. And when my mom would tell me those stories, my aunt, if they brought, if my mom brought that up in front of my aunt, would be like, Lori, stop it. Do we have to do this now? My mom would get lectured for bringing up something. We not upset he done it. We upset that you talking about that he done it. That's ridiculous. And it's crazy. And it's gaslighting. And it's racist. And I remember the first moment at that older cousin who I had bonded with at the time's first wedding. I was sitting there and I, you know, I was on the other side of puberty. I was looking more like a woman than I was looking girl size. And I had been on the far side of the dance floor and he walked toward me. And I remember thinking, shit, I should have walked around. I should have looped back so I didn't have to be with him. He walks up to me and he puts his arm on the small of my back and he pulls me in by my hip and he leans in and he says, you know, you are so beautiful. And all the hair stood up on the back of my neck and I extricated myself from him and I was like, thank you. And I walked away and my mom and I were debriefing about it after the wedding and my mom said, you know, my dad said to me, he came up and he said, you know, I never noticed how beautiful Brianna was. And you know, that's the first conversation that I had with my grandpa was when I aroused him but don't talk about that, Brianna, it's a wedding. I'm trying to have a good time, union of families. And then you ask me, oh, well, he gave you $10 on your birthday. Okay. He hit on me at another funeral. And I had a friend there who's black with me and he hit on her too. Hit on us, my blood grandfather. You know what I'm saying? That's the family. I did not know that story. That That is, I, I, my pits are sweating a little bit. Hello? And they're like, Lena, bit. why oh. don't you come down? Well, well, how much time you got? <laughs> but you got a ham and $10, so you, we're Correct. good people. We're good It was people. a Boston pork butt, Meredith. Oh, um. well, for Harvard, <laughs> for Boston, for Boston. Well, it's, you know, so I, I, my parents got really big in church when I was like five. And so we kind of pulled out of the family, like with yes. this church. Um, so I, you know, I looked around recently. And so part of me reaching out to you is like, I don't talk to any of my family. And your mom came to my book signing in Atlanta. And I was like, oh my gosh, we are so much more alike <laughs> than the genetic is. The genetics are strong between me and your mama. Um, and I thought, gosh, I don't know my family. I don't, you know, I don't know. And, and some of them, maybe I, I, I don't need to know. Um, but, you know, to reach out to you, like, I, I never knew you, but mm -hmm. I can envision, especially when I was, a, but you would have been little, you would have been little, but especially I struggled um, from six, I was on a weightlifting team, which was super diverse. And I, I, I regret that I couldn't have, we couldn't have talked, but you were like six. I was <laughs> it wouldn't have been good then. And then I just, you know, peaced out. I never, I never went home again. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm glad, I'm glad we're, we're talking now. Oh, you know, absolutely. Just, absolutely. Um, and, yeah. and I, I'm going to tag in right there because the funny thing is there have been specific people in the family who have come to me and usually they have cleared out. <laughs> And I remember with you specifically that my mom sent us a link to one of your pages and they were like, do you remember Meredith? And we're like, like, yeah, like kind of, I think really. my mom <laughs> might've been pregnant at your wedding. And so my sister definitely know. And she sends us this stuff and we're like, oh, she's tatted. She loves weights. Look at her. Like she's <laughs> Edward. Like 
you were like a normal living, breathing human being who wasn't on her high horse, right? And for us, it was exciting. And I remember I did some posts about like family weight loss transformations and I included you and my sister and it just felt kinship. And I have mm -hmm. a cousin who's a professor down in South Georgia and I remember she was coming to these um, holiday events and things, which were generally fun minus the moments. And she just sort of would sit every time and have a whole conversation with me. So what are you into? What do you like? Da, da, da. I did this, I did that. And she would share some stuff about herself and we bonded over being degree holders in that part of the family where it's so rare right yeah. and and I still go see her to this day like I I probably don't go two weeks without getting a call from her just to catch up and to talk and it feels good I had um my my mom's dad's sister was my mom again sent me a link it was like do you know that your great aunt is head of a university and I was like oh who and my mom connected us and she was my aunt the first time that she came through was like hey i'm gonna be in boston let's get together yeah and we just taught and it was just the outreach and like let's just talk and be people and and there are some good people some true good people in our family totally and those are the moments where i was just like whoa like so much of education like you have to know better to know better and being taken out of context and being comfortable, being confronted with by your beliefs. Do you, like, this is what this is. Do you stand by it or shall we pivot? Like, and and I think like seeing all of or these Or can you even listen? Like, like not even stand by it. Can you just listen? Right. Like. Yes. Just listen. Yeah. Read, and, and read I, a few things. Yeah, and I think it was like the bond that I built with that cousin that one day. Yeah. I thought it felt like I had family, like in the proper sense, not the be a warm body when we decide we want to have a get together. And I'm, I cherish those moments. And of course, like if you're in LA, hit me up. Like you can stay here in my house. Like, I think that's all that we wanted and all that we were asking for. And I think what we were asked in return was to be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's pivot real quick too. Yeah. And, and if anyone has any questions, um, Brianna said that she's totally down with mm -hmm. questions. So, and no matter how stupid they might feel, like this is a this is what this is for. This is for questions and dialogue. Yeah. I mean, I will boot you so fast if you say anything wrong. Uh, let's be clear on that. But um, this is a place for questions. But um, the good, the idea of the good person, like, mm -hmm. well, we're not, we're good people. We're I love how you said we're, we go to church, we tithe, we're good people. And then the, the concept of white woman's tears yeah, and how we as white women have used our privilege to the detriment of you, to right. the detriment of an entire group of people for right. A really long time. Not, I had no idea how long. It's a really long time. But I mean, obviously, Amy Cooper, it, right. I'm so, I, I hate to say I'm so glad that happened, but I'm, I'm so glad it happened. So mm -hmm. it, and, and under the circumstances it did with, you know, with, with Christian Cooper, no relation, obviously. Um, right. I'm, I'm glad that that happened because that is a primary example of this white woman's toxic tears. Yeah. Thing. So, yeah. so how have you experienced that? Or, or maybe you could educate us on what it is for anyone who's listening and for the first time doesn't, you know, this is all news. How, of how course. Is it showing up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, an expression of privilege that I do think is subconscious or unintentional, but it's still damaging. And basically it's, if I, I'm going to use, let me use a playground example before we talk real deal, right? If uh, you and I are dance partners, we have to work together. We cannot get through this dance unless you and I work together, right? But you keep stepping on my feet and you're the star. And so I've got to make you look good as a star because this is your show, but you're stepping on my feet and it hurts. And I say, hey, can you please stop stepping on my feet? And you're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I should have stepped on your feet. Oh, what kind of person am I? And you go on and on and on and on and on that you stop the whole show and the whole recital so that everyone can look at you and see how bad you feel about stepping on your feet. And then we do the show again the next night and you step on my foot again. And you keep doing it and you keep doing it. And it happens every time where I'm like, hey, like, you know, and this is, you know, we've done a whole run of a show where you are stomping on my toes. And I finally am like, please stop doing it. You have this meltdown again. And then and inside, I'm just like, well, I'm just going to let her step on my toes because we're never going to get through the show. We're never going to get through it all. We can't, we can't even get through the task that brought us here because you can't get over yourself enough to handle the criticism and adjust. But the other thing is, 
I don't give a damn how sorry you are about stepping on my foot. Stop doing it. <laughs> That's what I want. Stop. Here's a ham. Yes. <laughs> yes. And right. I think like, so we'll, let's take it out of the playground and get into the real world, right? I have had, especially in the workplace, God help me, where I have heard something sideways and I'll sit there and I'll go home and I'm like, Brianna, what did they actually say? What did they actually say? Are you tripping? Are you being a drama queen? No, I think they said what they said they said. Okay, are you going to ask them? Okay, great. Let me check my bank account. Can I afford to get fired tomorrow? All right, maybe tomorrow. Let's do it. So by the time I finally worked up the courage to give this what I know will be a confrontation, I'm already dreading it. I'm like, okay, well, when I finally tell someone that they're being racist, I need to be prepared to lose my job. I need to be prepared to console them. Let me bring a box of Kleenexes and a sucker. Like, let's go. For me, I'm well, I, Let's like, just pause there one second. Yeah. Everyone who's listening. When I am going to tell someone they're racist, I have to be prepared to lose my job. That's, we, white people, we don't lose jobs over saying things mm-hmm. like that. So that's another example of, like, when you said yeah, that, that's never totally. occurred to me that I couldn't go to HR and be like, hey, this is going mm-hmm. down and they would listen. Mm-hmm. They might not like it. Right. I wouldn't get fired. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So- by the time that I have steeled myself enough that I'm going to have the conversation, I have already fortified, if I can keep my temper, right? This is a cool headed thing. I'm not no explosions where I'm going to try to have a conversation with a person who I know means well, who I know means well. I know you didn't mean to step on my toe, but stop fucking doing it. <laughs> so I'm going to sit there and I, I had this conversation and I'm like using my I statements and I'm like, come on therapy, come through for me. And I try to finally have the discussion. The white tears is that meltdown by the person who's stepping on the toes, who not only we've forgotten what the conversation, the conversation is about you broke my foot. Mm-hmm. But now it's about how bad you feel and how sorry you are and how- Let's role play are. this. Why don't we role play this? I'll be white woman's toxic tears, of course. Great. The star of the show. So. <laughs> Um, so let's have this conversation. I, what did I do? I, um, I said something that, that was stepping on your toes. I said mm-hmm. something out, out of context. It hurt your feelings. It set you back mm-hmm. and you've been stewing on it and you're going to come to me. So go, go, let's go with the conversation. Great. I'd be like, Hey, Meredith, I wanted to talk to you about, um, yesterday at work, you know, I've thought about it a lot and I know you mean well, but, um, what you said came across as, uh, insensitive and I hurt my feelings. And I wanted to bring that up to you because I know that you probably didn't mean it, but I want to put it on your radar um, just to make sure it doesn't happen again. Oh my goodness. I am a good person. No, no, I know I you're would, a good person. I yeah. would, no, I would never. Have no, 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 it's not no, about I, you as a person. I'm I, just saying I, that I conversation. Go, I go to church and I tithe and right. I, I am a good person. No, 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 no. Like I, I am not, your tone is bothering me. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Whoever's tuning in, this is role playing. Yes. (laughs) Your your tone is bothering me. Maybe if you could say this a little bit nicer. But here's the thing what we need for this role play is then the room of people, (laughs) right? The volume of people. Because when someone looks and they see a black person and a crying white woman, the world will turn over. What did you do to her? She said sorry. Why are you making her feel worse? Oh, she didn't mean it. What do you want? Okay, well, I've done the same thing. I mean, if it's so bad here, how about you not work here? And you know what? If you don't like the fact that sometimes she doesn't know everything about you, how about quit your job? How about move? Leave. Mm, You're much better at white women's tears than I was. Right? And then this happens, right? And then you still get called into HR because this has happened to me before, right? Um, So there was an altercation where I get... No, it wasn't an altercation. Well, okay, so some people got upset. Yes, me. Uh, Who did you hear was upset? Who are you here on behalf of? And that goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And meanwhile, the problem persists. I am now terrified at my job. I'm the one who pulled the race card, which is a beautiful way to silence someone. A beautiful way. The white girl has rallied an entire office building of support. Please make me feel better about being racist. What? You just rode out the welcome wagon homegirl, got some clip bars from the kitchen for that? Like, what is happening? And these are things that it's not unique. It's not the exception. It's the rule. And it is a privilege to not feel it. And it is a risk for me to point it out. Socially, financially, professionally. 
I'm right. prepared to that take you're another risk. angry black woman. Yes, and then that would be the same that. person that's like, yes, Black Lives Matter, hashtag, 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 all of that publicly. But then one-on-one, when I'm trying to get to the real deal and have a concrete conversation between you and between I about something that happened on this day, suddenly I have crossed the line. Why are you being loud? What is the way you mad at me? Like, and then I'm just like, okay, let me go pack my shit now. Like, just go ahead and give me my banker's box. Like, you know, and that's stressful. And that's not life or death. That's regular. And that's white tears. When a white person who claims and and is probably sincere and and meaning well says, let me know. And then you let them know. And they're like, "Ah, why would you let me know? I don't know if like that. I keep going like as a white woman, I keep going back and forth on that. When you said who, who means well, and I don't know if, if it's well-meaning or just like, just don't disrupt my world. Like Truman show. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's not well-meaning at all. I mean, I, because since I woke up, um, I, I recognize that it was just, Oh no, my world is fine. This does not, this, I'm I'm good here in Sudbury, Massachusetts. Like right. fine over here. Like it's that's not my you know. It's, so it is about a, a a white person who is looking this in the eye and saying I'm I'm awake. I'm learning. I'm listening. They're not going to do that white tear shit anymore. They're not going to. I would never dream of here. Like well, they might when they go back to sleep. <laughs> when they go back to sleep, girl. That's it. Which is what I told Brianna. I said, look. I have, I have said I am supporting, I am learning, I'm going to do something, but now we're friends. And so that means if I go back to sleep in three weeks and, and you're like, you've been quiet, I said, I want you to wake me up. Mm-hmm. And it's not your responsibility to wake me up, but I want, I want to be told. Like, yeah, and, and, and that matters quiet. to me. That <laughs> you're quiet. To me. That matters to me. And I think that's important. And the thing is, it's not about, criticism is hard in any context. Yeah. But particularly in a context where you're learning for the first time that many of the things that you thought you merited were freebies or Mm. were taken directly from someone else and given to you. That's a hard pill to swallow. And that's not my pill to swallow. (laughs) But I will say this. Criticism is difficult to embrace in all contexts, but particularly in this one, the meltdowns that come from it, I can't relate to. And I'm not trying to spark the, the meltdown. I'm trying to spark conversation that feels feels productive yeah and i think the thing that gets in the way of that is the intent i didn't mean to i want to talk about the impact i want to talk about that stop telling me what you meant what you intended go read about any conquering group (laughs) read about anything (laughs) and ask them what they meant did you mean to rape and pillage and destroy an entire group of people Oh, we were spreading God's word. Oh, okay. Well, according to these statistics, you raped and pillaged a conquered group of people. So what should we talk about? Do you know what I mean? Like it's that loop where you get stuck and it's crazy town and it feels like gaslighting. But the other thing is that I want to say, particularly to people like you and like my mama, who it's, there's no question. Like my mom's never been like, hmm, do I speak up? My mom's like, hell no, this cannot happen. This is not cool. Oh, you think it's cool? Well, you're done. Like, It's unequivocal for her in the way that it was for your daughter. But I think what I want to say directly to you is it's not about being perfect. And you probably won't get it right. You like a couple months into this thing. I got two decades on you and and counting. (laughs) Right? So I'm not expecting perfection, but the effort matters. And when somebody gives you feedback, it's constructive, ideally. So then construct a solution and keep at it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't fall to pieces. You can cry, but try to go into your office and shut your door. Don't make me feel <laughs> Right, right. And like when I thing. cried when you said it. Yeah. It's not, I'm not trying to keep us in this place of guilt and feeling bad. I want you to pick yourself up, be resilient, be strong, be and creative and productive, and do something. Do something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think for white people to white people. So much of it is like, I'm seeing a lot of white folks who are like, you're a racist and you're a racist. Grab the pitchforks and just absolutely vehement and enraged. And sure, there's a time and a place for those kinds of things. But I think for me, what I'm thinking about is one, claim your whiteness. Find and see yourself in these moments. Convict yourself. Implicate yourself. 
so that you can see yourself and clean and build anew. But the other thing is, in addition to all of that other stuff, what I would ask is, when you see someone who you love, who you do believe knows better but has not done better, look to them, pull them aside and be like, look, we don't roll like that. I love you. But that right there, we don't roll like that. You come with me, you leave that behind. That's more productive to me. I'm not branding you as XYZ type of person. I don't have time to know enough people in that level of intimacy. But for the people who in your all white circles or someone starts to get out of pocket or someone starts to get out of line and you see it and you don't stand for it, all you have to say is, look, we don't do that. Yeah. That's or, not yes. for us. Yeah. Well, and what I have seen is the 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 tears, the white woman tears, but also the the mass exodus of, well, I am, that is what is making me nuts. You know, if you leave a situation, um, one, you can't impact it, but you're not wanting to impact it. You're leaving because it's like, oh my God, you hurt my feelings. I am not a racist. I'm a good person. I'm leaving. I am not having this conversation. I am this, that is what I'm seeing the, the white fragility. That is the oh my God, and then they leave, or I'm not going to say anything on social media, fine, then quit social media. Like that, that is what I'm saying. When people are telling me this is not the time and the place, I, and several people very close to me have said that, and I'm going, when is, and what is social media for? Like, but that's also, that is another example of privilege. Um, not today. I'm in the gym. This is where we exercise and we burn calories. We do not talk about the implications of my ancestors and their choices. Thank you. Now the class ends at two, at 201, maybe you can hit me up. Like that's privilege. Gosh. Because anytime, yeah. any place, the amount of interactions that I've had with police officers, the amount of times that I have been racially profiled, the amount of times that I have been sexualized, the amount of times that I have been called a nigger, the amount of times that I've been told to be quiet, the amount of times that I've been told I look unprofessional there is no limit anytime in place you are then why so do you right. get to go why do you get to clock out privilege that's why i never had to clock in and i don't think anyone has ever called me any of those things except one time at my first law job i was called unprofessional because i had on something but that's it <laughs> and that's me going hey Bri- hey brianna i have a story this time this happened to me that's that's the other white thing when you know it's like oh we understand because one time when i was 15 this happened to me and it happens to you every day Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well and you know something and i want to i would love to be able to pivot and have a bit of a q a and to talk to you because i do have questions for you particularly having the privilege to opt in Mm -hmm. i think i'm just curious like what allowed you to be able to finally get real with yourself and this society that we live in such that Um, you can be like you know what i've done two or three of these things and i'm gonna try not to do them moving forward like where how did you occupy that space so quickly it was it was ahmaud arbery and it was what it was realizing that he was running and i had not i had not been running and but i had gone out really soon around that incident and I had run and I had my headphones in and I had my, and I just ran and I came home. And something about realizing that I have the privilege to go out and run and not, not only run, but to not worry about anything. Like at no point in my white neighborhood, am I worried that I am going to be chased, looked down upon. I, the only thing that I, people might give me the side eyes, why is that big girl running? <laughs> She, she should not, <laughs> that might be the only thing um, or those old ugly pants she's got on them, but that's it. And, and something about that hit me so hard mm-hmm. that I was like, no, this happens all the time. Like black people can't go for a jog. Mm-hmm. What? And I'll, I'll tell you something else. This is me telling on myself. There was a black man that ran down our street one day and I was like, what's what? what's he doing I just I wasn't like what's he doing here but I thought well I don't see like it was conscious enough for me to go he doesn't live here Mm -hmm. that was my head what's he doing here not Mm -hmm. like oh we should go check it out but the the racial bias was instant 
What's yeah. he doing here? And and honestly, it's probably because I don't see black people in Sudbury. Right. I was used like in Atlanta, it's it's mm -hmm. different. But even in Atlanta, you're you know, you end up walking down the street with and you're like, oh, am I safe here? I, mm -hmm. I don't know, because it's a black part. It's it's in my head. And so part part of what I'm doing is is doing the work behind it. I'm, I'm yeah. working through me and white supremacy, the book, which is a workbook. And I'm like writing down these things, these things that have been part of me. I mean, as a lawyer, I, I did public defender conflict cases. I had black clients and oh, wow. the racial bias that was slightly there mm -hmm. for my own clients. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, you know, I, and this is my, this is maybe sound defensive, but it wasn't so much from me, but it was knowing, okay, if we go before a jury in this county, it's better that we plea this out because that jury is not a jury of your peers. Like it, right. it was all, but that was part of the system. You know, I'm your yeah. white little, little attorney on a drug charge. It's going to be a mandatory 10, but you could have a maximum 25 if you get the jury. So you'll be out in seven you should take it instead of if it was a white person, we go to trial and we, yeah. so all of this stuff is coming up because I'm looking at it and yeah. it's not pretty. I am not proud of it, but I'll be damned if I'm going to continue it. Right. And, and I think until we recognize those, you know, I had a conversation with, with one of my very dear friends the other day who was upset about a particular incident that she got called out on. And I said, Oh, and she said, I didn't do it. I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you did that incident. You did 150 more at some point in your life. Right. Like this is not about, oh, I didn't do that. It's in the system. We are, exist in a system that was built to do this. Yeah. And that is what we, and so when I started, it did not take much education on, it did not take much of a fuck to give. <laughs> I know it, felt, it, see, it was like a mod happened. Meredith, call the troops. Because <laughs> I start reading like this is my OCD passed down in our lineage. Um, it, it's, I got all the books coming, and I, you know, and I've got my glasses on. And I'm reading, and I'm like, how does this happen? You know, so I. But that was it for me. It was that. Mm -hmm. That's what triggered it. And then I did a little bit of educating myself, mm -hmm. and I was like, no. And, and also thinking about Stella and James and their children. Mm -hmm. that Stella and James are not going to be immune from this, that it's not going to be fixed in their lifetime, but it could be by their kids. And I, you know, I look at that and I'm like, this is, it's now, like we're doing this now, mm -hmm. now. Yeah. <laughs> that and, and, I think, and I think that's, that's amazing. And I, and I, the other thing too, you know, we've talked a lot about white tears and white privilege and things like that, but I do also want to be able to tell you things as a person who I hope can take them and implement them, which is I will never be in a room with all white people who will act as they, how they would act normally and in the wild because I'm present. So they're the people who know better, right? Or the people who just are not that comfortable being blatant. And I think it's in those moments where, again, I don't need to have an accusatory or an aggressive conversation um, and I don't need you as a person who's allying and doing this work and who is educated about the law and the system and how it functions to fight. But if there is a way to advocate for these people who may be in behind closed doors and in these circles, more comfortable expressing doubt about whether black people are valued or equal. For me, I think it's important to say like, ask, I would ask, you to ask them why and just why 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 my aunt when she screamed that her husband was as racist as the day is long the r word had never been stated in my entire lifetime and for her to finally say it she had she couldn't explain why any other way yeah. and she knew we had just all agreed to pretend like we hadn't noticed. And I think that that sometimes is more productive. So, and so why is he like, why do they, why are they so ghetto? What's ghetto? Do you know where a ghetto is from? Do you know that those are constructed? Do you know who built right. Do you know who, built, you know the who built the ghetto? Oh, I don't, why are they so loud? What's wrong with being loud? Well, I don't like it. Okay. Take them on Arbery or George Zimmerman, or Derek Chauvin. I don't think it was racially motivated. Okay. Why not? Well, you can't say that he had arrested him because of that. Okay. Well, after he detained him, why'd he put his knee on his neck? Well, I mean, police are good people. No, 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 don't change this conversation. Let's just stay here. Let's stay on this side. 
Why do you feel like that? I don't want to get into politics. I'm talking about murder. That's not political. That's moral. It's humanitarian. I haven't said anything about a policy yet. Do you feel like a person who is unarmed, who is detained on the ground, pleading that they cannot breathe, has committed an offense that justifies continuing to lack oxygen, asphyxiation, being squashed into the ground the way that you squash a bug? Why? I don't want to say hashtag Black Lives Matter. Why? What do you feel when, that, when you're about to proclaim that I have value? What is making you squeamish? Stay with me here. Why do you feel like that? Well, cops are, no, we're not talking about police officers. We are talking about black people. And the other thing is, in addition to that, let's not even talk about black people. Do you believe in equality? Because Los Angeles managed to put away 2,500 people in four days while Derek Chauvin kept pulling up a plate at his wife and kids dinner table. So he killed a person and we know he killed the person because we seen him do it. Right. When you ask these questions about these protesters or you find yourself more upset about property damage than a life, you, I would love in these all white circles to just when that person says, they should not ruin property to say, why are you upset about that and not the death? Right. Right. And just listen to what they say. I'd be curious to know. We'll, we'll keep a spreadsheet. I'll share a Google Doc. <laughs> we'll do it. Let's take a poll. Right. I, I'm still shocked. I'm still sitting here just like, I don't, I don't even know how I didn't know all of this. Like, that's what's so crazy about when white people wake up. I mean, it's like. This is why woke is the best slang for it. It's literally like, you have been asleep. Here's where we're at in the program. Like. Yes, that's what I feel like. I feel like I just walked into church and I'm like, how did I not know? What? But what's going on? <laughs> and you're like, well, you're new, so you go stand over there and hold the sign. I'm like, go ahead and take a seat in the back. No more. You'll catch up. Like, <laughs> but I think, like, for me, it gives me hope. Um, not to sound like a, you know, after school special, but I feel truly hopeful the fact that you can, in the time span that you had, act not just feel bad, but act, um, it gives me hope and it's astounding and it's reassuring. And the fact that you can look me in my face and say on the internet and all these places that Black Lives Matter, like I didn't spend Christmas after Christmas after Christmas with you, Meredith, I haven't seen you since I was eight. And the people who I did break bread with cannot bring themselves to other words. And so like give your, I, I, like I give you the props and the credit and the gratitude and just have to make it explicitly clear that it, you give me hope. I'm just, I don't, I don't know what to say, but like, like you said, like once you're, once you're woke, you're woke and I, I'm scared and, and this is not about me, but I'll tell you, you asked me like, well, how do you feel about something yesterday? And I was like, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared for a lot of reasons. I'm scared of what I'm, first of all, what I'm going to be called to do. Mm -hmm because I take that very seriously. I always have when you, when you get called to do, and, and it's so funny because I kicked that legal degree to the curb because I was just sick of the trash that was um, with it. And I just didn't like the law I was practicing. And I'm like, I have a skill set now. I have a, a real skill set. And, and then I watched Just Mercy the other night. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to use this skill set. And so like, part of me is like, I see why people are like, oh, this is terrible. I'm going to help. And then they're like, just kidding. I'm going to go over here. Like it, it'd be real easy for me to not email Brian and not say, how can I help EJI? And, but I can't because it's not, it's not, it's not right. Yeah. And, and so everyone's got to wake up mm -hmm. and it's not, it's not easy to wake up. It's not, it's not fun. We did some shit and we've got to own it. Yeah. But the good thing about owning your shit, and this is, this is like in the context of everything I teach, like even with my book and triathlon, when you know the truth, you can no longer unknow it and you're forced to make a decision. Yeah. You can either stick your head back in the sand on whatever issue, or you can do something about mm -hmm. it.
So when you know you're fat and you have like, you're way overweight and you have not taken care of yourself, you can go, okay, I'm fine. I love myself. And you can stick your head back in the sand on that issue. Not to, and that's your personal choice. Right. Or you can go, you know what? I'm probably going to die soon if I don't get this straight and my whatever. And you can go do something about it. this. This applies to everything in life. And so why are you going to start running and eating kale, but you're not going to start saying black lives matter? <laughs> like, wake up or the and i think like adding to that i i want to say two more things um, yeah. that have been springboarded from what you just said which is the first like, like what you're talking about meredith is accountability and not accountability for atrocity but accountability for retaining your humanity like you have to do the work to stay human because if you are so switched off that it sits neatly with you to see the things that happen you gotta like you gotta get with god i don't i don't know like not to get super religious but i think that there's some you have to ask yourself why is this fine and I think a lot of that like accountability is difficult and, and there are areas where I'm privileged like becoming a member of the Ivy League changed my life and have exposed me and given me access to privileges that I have to answer to all the time that I never did right like they come in so many forms but this particular one it's a bitter pill to swallow but I think the first thing is accountability I'm not convicting and condemning I just want to right. stop stop stepping on my tip. Right. And I think the second thing I want to add is it astounds me sometimes the extent to which um, people do not, particularly white Americans, do not know their own history. So I yes. hear white people who are like, I didn't know what redlining is. And I'm like, oh, you just thought black people just fuck up their own schools. You don't know why the schools are shitty. There's do you know who did that? Probably your granddaddy. And if you're old enough, your daddy. Um, you don't understand what the sheriff's badge, why that sh it's that shape. You don't know oh, I don't. the history of your people. Sheriff, like police officers are slave patrols and the sheriff's star, the slave patrol's star has now been created as the modern sheriff's badge. That, so that's another thing. You don't have to learn all about black people. You don't have to start like bumping to different, you know, tunes and whatever. Learn about yourself. Let's, oh, I got a question. Mm -hmm. Let's real quick. Let's talk, well, not real quick. I mean, I, I do have to go at five, yeah. but not real quick. <laughs> What is, let's talk about microaggressions. This is, this is a term that I, you know, you'll hear. And so what are they, how are they showing up? And, and yeah. Um, so microaggressions, uh, like it's in the word, right? Like a smaller scale individual, usually interactions where someone, um, aggresses against another person on the basis of some sort of identity, race, gender, sexuality, creed, the religion and the like, um, a lot of times. Again, it's not intentional. And this is, I stay out of the intent loop. Um, but like I had an aunt who was like, how do you get your hair all nappy like that? Well, nappy is not a nice word and it's not a compliment. It's not It's not the one you want to be uh, used to describe your hair, right? Particularly if you've done it. She did not know that. But she unintentionally through ignorance, and I mean the Merriam-Webster version of the definition of that word, did not know aggressed against me. And so now I have to, not react to being called nappy headed because I have to give her the grace of saying she doesn't know better. And then I have to make a choice, right? Which is, do I educate her on what nappy means? Am I clear headed enough or am I so hurt by this or so debilitated by this that I just need to let it go and protect it? And this happens all the time. We've all been microaggressed against, but I think particularly with black and white people, you'll hear things like colored, which I'm like, oh, that's a Jim Crow word, honey. That is no, but no black person is <laughs> colored. Like that's a microaggression where people are like, <gasps> like my heart will seize. And I know that the person who said it, or I'm hoping the person who said it doesn't know better, but it still happened. So I think when it comes to microaggressions, they're unavoidable in some ways because you just are not going to be able to know the ins and outs and details of every culture creed insert here, but it's how you handle them. So you say nappy headed like that and my, you know, my brow scrunches, sorry, I'm, I, what did I say? And if they're open, I'm sorry. And then the answer is, I, I apologize. Yeah. It will not happen again. I'm not gonna tell you what I meant by it. I'm not gonna tell you how I got a black friend. I'm not gonna tell you how <laughs> greasy in the morning. I have a black cousin. We did an Instagram. Well, See, I'm not racist. Right. So I can call you nappy. Like, no. Um, <laughs> I think the way you handle the microaggression is super helpful, which is the point of it is you hurt someone. For whatever reason, you hurt them. 
So if you care about other people and humanity, how do you act? First, take accountability. I'm sorry. I should not have said that. I did not realize its impact. I hurt you and I will not do it again. Please forgive me. And then the other thing is you're not entitled to forgiveness. You're not entitled to, you don't get to say sorry and then get to feel better. If they're hurt to the point where they can't get over it, then guess try it on the next blur, the next black person you come upon. <sighs> I said sorry to her and she's not over it. Nope. Nope. She doesn't have to be over it because you don't know how you might have been the thousand and one. <laughs> right. That is the straw. I mean, yeah. How it's so funny because like white people, we can be heard about all sorts of things and the thousand straw, and then we raise our voice and we're mad about it, and it's like justified, right? But you're over there raising your voice and we're tone policing you, telling you to calm down. You don't have to say it like that. Say it in a say it in a tone that my white ears can handle. I think that's the number one um day to day form of something that I experience is someone asking me why I'm speaking the way that I am. I, I say cuss words or I do this. I'm very blunt. I shoot pretty straight. And that's why. Brianna, you could have been nicer. Well, Brianna, I mean, and I'm like, no, why? Why should I be? I wasn't unkind. And don't forget, this is a conversation about something you done, not me. <laughs> so you can't even hear the recount? Stop it. Stop it. No, 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 no. You don't get to, no, we don't get to do that. Oh, my friend, we covered a lot. <laughs> we covered it. We covered a lot. Thanks for tuning in to Peaches Ain't Pink. If you want us to riff on something specific, DM us on Instagram at Peaches Ain't Pink. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and share with your favorite peaches. <laughs>